Amen. James chapter 1 this morning. James chapter number 1. Uh, we, looking at the mindset, uh, we need strategy, yes, technique, certainly. We need to figure out what steps we're going to take, but all those should come out of our mindset that we have, and the Bible gives us much of that mindset, Jesus, in calling His disciples. He's calling them to a right mindset. You've got to think right, and, um, and out of that, we, we, we work this strategy. That's one of the, the distinctions about coming to a conference here, unlike going to other places, and, and they're distinctives. The distinctives are different, and um, that's what makes it a distinctive, but you come to a victory conference and you see the flow in the progression, but there's also a mindset behind it. It's some conferences I've been to is a theme and no one really hits on that theme. They may touch on, there's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of times people go to a place looking for what can I do next? I got to figure out. And, and, and if we're just looking for that, uh, give me a a rule sheet, a strategy sheet, a, a checklist, and, and, and that's only place that we really think. We can also get distracted with, boy, I, I like those lights there. That's, maybe if we had that, if I, if I had a church, I'm going to get lights like that and put it in our church, and boy, that pulpit is what, what we need. And, you know, and, those, and we begin to miss. We, may, we miss the whole, uh, the, what is it that, that God blesses? And there's nothing wrong with having a spirit of excellence. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be uh, putting forth our best and, and showing uh, that we really, we, we think a lot of God. and We think highly of, of the importance of coming together. But ultimately, we're looking for that DNA, that culture, that mindset of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and so we want to get that. Now, we talked last night, we moved from the temptation, the trials, the stress and the pressure that comes into our life. God allows those things. They're going to happen. They're going to be there. And uh, have you ever, uh, you know, people, uh, at, perhaps you'll get married. You might get married someday and, uh, you know, don't hold your breath, but you, you might get married. And, and, and somebody says, uh, uh, boy, uh, we, we are so much alike. And when we, we're just a perfect, God put us together because we're exactly alike. Well, I dare say you're not exactly alike. If you're exactly alike, you probably don't need to be together. And uh, there, there's, there's uh, uh, the, the differences, and the differences are good. Differences are a blessing, but, but what you can love about somebody uh, that's different, they can irritate you later on. The very thing you love, the very, the very ministry you love, the very subject I love, the very instrument I love, there's something I just, this is what I live for, but you can, if you're not careful, even that can become a point of frustration. And, and James gets to why that happens. Is it that person or is it that instrument? Is it that ministry? Is it that? That's the problem. Well, he, he tells us about that. But the fact is, there's things that will cause stress and problems and pressures within our life. And God uses that. It's an instrument. It's a tool. And what does he use those problems and pressures and stress for? And here's where we're going to have to get some uh, cooperation. Well, what, what does he use that for? For what? Uh, to temper us to do what? 
well, ultimately, but before you can get to the perfecting, the maturity, that's what we're going after, mindset for pure, for maturity rather, what is he going to use those trials for ultimately? Uh, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and patience would be what? Yeah, that, that endurance, that staying power, that so I don't have to run from it. I don't have to try to get out of it. I can, I can learn to, to um, build up my endurance. I don't have to bail out. Uh, he's going to use things that's going to be a trial, a stress, a problem. Again, everyone's trials are different. Remember I mentioned a major trial versus a minor trial. Major is if I'm going through it. Minor if you're going through it. Have you ever met someone whose dog died and, and they're just... They just checked out of life. And you say, that's, that's bizarre. That's crazy. What in the world? It's just a dog until your dog dies. I remember when my dog died. I cried harder over my dog dying than any family member that I ever lost. <laughs> and hey, that's a major trial. See, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever is causing the problem and the stress, God's going to allow that. But what is he doing? He's trying to create some endurance. This is God's workout gym for you. This whole place of ministry, Baptist College of Ministry, school and schedule, and all of that is really preparing for the next step and the next step. But don't be looking down the road at the next step. Don't waste the opportunities that God has given you now. And so look at now. God, what are you trying to do? That's where the wisdom, calling to God. Knowledge is how to take that situation apart. Wisdom is how to put it together and keep it together and be able to grow through it. But he's trying to give you some endurance. Don't get worn out. You get tired walking from across the parking lot to here. Well, sometimes you get tired just going from one situation of ministry to another. And God says, I need you to stay at it a little bit longer. So he's going to allow you to go through some things. So instead of running from it, rejoice. Ultimately, what is he doing? He's trying to mature you. Now, a diploma can, can reveal some of that, reflect some of that. A degree can reflect some of that. But ultimately, God has a litmus test for that. And he's trying to produce that in our life. But then we looked at last night in verse number 13, let no man say when he's tempted. We said this is a different temptation. The first temptation he talked about in verses 2 through 4 is that testing. That testing to make us better. But the temptation in verse 13 and 14 and 15 that he's talking about is a different kind of temptation. What is that? No whispering. Didn't your mama tell you it's rude to whisper? What is it? It's a solicitation to evil. It's a solicitation to sin. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? There was a tempting to sin, break God's will, break God's law, uh, who was behind that? Was God behind that? No, it wasn't God. And Satan was behind it, but who was, to, who was ultimately responsible? Well, in, in the sense of what we're talking about, and Jesus died for you and me, and this is a matter in which we are the ones, we're the recipients of this letter. He says, don't blame God. Don't blame anybody else. Take responsibility. And um, he tells us what happens when you, when you yield to some desire for something that God's not wanting you to have right now and something that's maybe off limits. Uh, it's that uh, wet paint don't touch. 
And you just feel like, I just need to touch it. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin enters into the equation, you, you can't hide it. You can't hide this under your bed. You can't keep it in your closet because you've set off a, a string of events that's going to grow until it's dealt with God's way. Well, these things that come into our life and these problems and trials and you know, when you feel overwhelmed, you feel like you're on edge, you, you have all these demands. Have you felt like that yet? Maybe it's too early back in this semester, but if you've been here more than a semester, maybe it comes to your mind, you think I've got classes, I have schedule, I have instruments, I have work, homework, ministry, discipleship, fellowship, uh, involvement, work, and now chess, I heard. And, and uh, you just say, I have no spare time. I don't have any spare time in my days. There's no margin in my life. And then you find somebody. Somebody who, as you're trying to balance all these, keep these plates spinning, somebody, somebody maybe borrows your stuff and doesn't return it, and now you need it, and it's not there. Or maybe they borrowed your vehicle, left it on empty, and maybe you, got a, you have a lost, damaged book because of somebody else, or your computer's damaged, something's happened, and a number of things could come into your life and cause just enough added pressure to cause you to um, this pent-up frustration, it's just about ready to explode. Now, it can explode in different ways. You may not put a hole in the wall. You may not be screaming at the top of your lungs. It may come out with some sarcasm. It may come out with a quick tongue to put somebody in place, but, but something is boiling over and you are you're realizing this isn't the way it's supposed to be, but this should not be happening this way. And then you stop and think, oh, wait a minute. Is God trying to test me? Is God testing me as to whether I will blow up? Is God increasing the pressure to see if I'm going to crack? Is God putting me through this to see if I will sin? Look at verse 16. We looked at it last night, but look at verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. I think he's saying, do not be tricked. Do not be deceived about this sin issue. And also, don't be deceived. Don't go astray or wonder something that isn't true. See, one of the enemy's tricks is to convince you that your father is holding out on you. He's trying to convince you that he really doesn't love you, that he doesn't care about you. Oh, he cares. He loves. That's the God that he is. But he doesn't love you like he loves others. Remember when Satan approached Eve, he suggested if God really loved her, he would permit her to just eat. All it is is eating of the forbidden tree. It's not even in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not eat of the tree. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's really, if God loved you, every, everyone else could do it. No one else is around, but, but isn't that the mindset where everybody else is doing and everybody else is not doing it, but we, we begin to think that way. You say, well, that's, that's Eve. Boy, if I was there, I would, I would do it all different. Do you know that the same Satan who went after Eve, he went after Jesus? He suggested to Jesus and he raised the question of hunger. If your father loves you, why are you hungry? How can we guard ourselves from allowing Sin to conceive, to take up resident, residence within our lives. 
How can we protect ourselves from this process that James speaks of? Remember, verse 2 through 4 are just tests of problems and trials and situations of life. And he tells us how we can handle that, how we can live through that. Because if we can't just handle life affecting us, how are you going to minister to others and be able to overflow and help others who do need somebody to tell them, hey, there's a way in which you can go about this. You can, you can, enjoy, you can rejoice regardless of the circumstances. But if we don't respond right to the trials and the stress and the problems and the tests, Outwardly, they can become inward solicitation to evil. The difference between the verse 2 through 4, the test and trials, and verse 13, the solicitation to evil, I, I think has to do with where is it coming from. If it's something coming at you from the outside, it's, it's going to be a test and problem, trial that will create stress. But if it's something that lust on the inside, something that anger on the inside, something that I want this, I deserve this, coming on the inside, it's going to be a solicitation to evil. Uh, let's stand together and let's read our passage in this morning. And Now I've skipped a few verses, but I hope to tie it together and we've got two more to go and I think maybe three more to go. So I'm going to skip quite a bit. I'm going to do what most commentaries do. I'm going to skip a lot of passages. <laughs> if I ever wrote a commentary, I'm going to skip. I'm just going to do what they do. No, I'm not even worthy of writing a commentary. But I've always found, I just was preaching through chapter 5 uh, on Sunday morning, dealing with the, um, uh, the, the praying for and anointing those who are sick. And I found many commentators just like to skip over some of those verses and um, and and we, we can tend to do some of that as well. And sometimes we skip over verses just because we already know them. We're familiar with them. But I believe these are some great verses that I've skipped over a lot, an awful lot in my life. And some of it has to do with that beautiful King James language that is just lofty and it just doesn't resonate, but I hope it will resonate with us this morning. Notice if you would please, let me pick up verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be, uh, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to the wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. I want to preach this morning this thought on talking about mindset. This morning let's have the right mindset about God. The right mindset about God. Because in doing so, we'll be able to keep the trial from becoming a temptation. If you have the right mindset about God, you'll find it is a great solution to your sin problem. Thank you. Please be seated. James gives us four dynamics I'd like for us to see as how we can guard ourselves from allowing 
pressure, stress, to develop into an, a, an inward desire and solicitation to experience something that's off bounds for me. From, from just life to turning into sin. How can we protect from that process that James talked about? That desire going into disobedience resulting in a ruptured relationship of intimacy with God. Well, notice first of all, he tells us this thought in those verses that we just read. We need to be convinced. If you've been here long enough, you should understand what a conviction is. Conviction is something you're convinced is right. Something you're convinced is true. Here it is. Be convinced that God has only good in mind with each and every problem. Every trial, every stress, God has only good in mind for you. No matter the trial, you must start with this conviction about God. You have to start with what you know. Instead of trying to figure out maybe what I don't know, start with the facts of what you do know. Every trial, every stress, every problem, every issue, every situation, you can start with this conviction. Everything about God is absolutely good, totally good, fully good, nothing but good. That's what he's telling us in verse 16 through 18. Everything that God is doing in your life is good. He is only thinking of what is good and perfect and the good and perfect gifts that he's going to give you. What was he saying to Adam and Eve? Don't eat, don't eat. Don't take this fruit. Don't eat of this fruit. Why? Because everything that God was doing for them was good. And everything he's giving to them is good. See, the goodness of God, I believe, is one of the greatest barriers against yielding to temptation. Every time you click on the wrong site, you look at the, the wrong image, you have the wrong thought, you've forgotten about the goodness of God. Since God is good, we don't need any other person, including Satan, to meet our needs. We don't. God is good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And it's one of the greatest barriers. It's the, one of the greatest protections against yielding to temptation. Remember Joseph? We were just talking about this there with Pastor a moment ago. Joseph, uh, he, he, we know his strategy. We know his technique, what he would not do, what he did not do. But part of the reason is because of his mindset. And again, that's why I'm saying I think it helps us to not just look at Joseph's strategy, but what was his mindset behind his strategy, why he didn't yield. Well, he told us. He says the master, Potiphar's, uh, 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 the, the uh, husband of Potiphar's wife, husband of the wife that was tempting him, the, the, this, this instrument here, he's saying everything that I have has been given, and he doesn't even know all that I have. And he's talking about the favor that he's been given. He says, I've been given so much. Why would I do this? When you look at pornography, you, for, you have failed, you have forgotten, you've been given so much. You say, oh, you don't know my background. Well, if you're saved, I do. And you've been given so much. So much. The truth is, Joseph saw, well, it didn't turn out so well for me. 
Oh, it, it was because everything God was doing, whether it's in the pit, it's in the palace, it's going to prison, all of it is because God's good. Nothing that God is going to give you is, is, is anything but goodness. And Joseph learned it's better to be hungry in the will of God than to be full outside of the will of God. David would have told you that. Samson would tell us that. See, once you start to doubt God's goodness, you're going to be attracted to Satan's offers. And the natural desires that are bent away from God within us will reach out to his bait because you fail to recognize God's goodness. Remember, Moses warned Israel not to forget God's goodness when they began to enjoy the blessings of the promised land we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, and James tells us, look at it again, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God only gives good gifts. God gives only good gifts to us. That's all that God, God's not setting you up to see if you're going to crack. He's not setting you up to see if you're going to sin. He's not, he doesn't have these uh, hidden security cameras from heaven just to see if you're going to do something wrong because he suspects that of you. No, God is a giver of only good gifts. All that is good in our lives, all that is good comes from God. God is good and he alone is absolutely good. Far from being the source of temptation to evil, that's for sure. God's the source of all that is good. Don't be tricked about this matter of sin and don't be tricked and deceived about this matter of who God is. James contrasts here for us the difference between what comes from Satan or, or that, that is not of God versus what comes from God. What is it that's not of God? Verse 14 through 15, we find words like lust, tempted, sin, death. But what do we find from God? Verse 17 and 18. It's always from God. Look at the descriptive words such as, look at it. You looking at it? You see it? Uh, you there? Say amen. amen. I told a group over here last night, um, we're going to have to work on your amens. Uh, you don't learn to say amen now. You'll have to go through the amen 101 class in heaven. It's easier to, to get it out of the way, and you can skip that there. And so I'll help you with that. I, I need to remember to cue you. Um, I get so used to a Robbie Autry at our church. who He amens um, just when we give the announcements. And so he just he's excited <laughs> about things. But, um, but look at the descriptive words of God, verse 17 and 18. Good, gift, perfect, above. Lights, first fruits, all this has to do with life. This is the, the awakening kind of life. This is not the death vocabulary. See, God loves us and desires what is best for us, and it's the character of God to give. James 1 and verse 5, we saw this, that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus said, Matthew 7 and verse 7, ask and it shall be given you. Romans 8, 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Psalm 37 and verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Oh, God's good. Notice in verse 17 the different kinds of gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift. 
See, God, he, he, likes, he likes Christmas shopping for us. He likes giving gifts. He likes our, our every day to be a Christmas celebration. He, he's a giver. Notice the good gifts. What are these? These are the expensive ones. These are the superlative gifts. These are the nice gifts. What are the perfect gifts? These are the ones that are uniquely designed for you. And God, God picks those out. You know, God, God is, is tailoring his gifts because he's good, regardless of the trial. You may feel like you're... Your studies have been stalled. You just have lost motivation, losing motivation with your instrument and an overloaded schedule, maybe a prolonged singleness. And, and, and if you're not careful, you're going to forget that God is good and he's a giver of gifts. He's never forgotten you. Never as he said, oh, man, I forgot. I forgot about your situation. No. Everything God does is good. Notice what he says in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, meaning God is the Father of lights, meaning he is the creator of light, meaning he lives in the light. First John chapter 1, everything about God is bright, it's out in the open, nothing is ever going to interfere with that good and perfect light coming to you. There's no shifting shadows. I love this. When we talk about Christian life, we're talking about an awakening, we're talking about meeting with God each and every day. We're talking about getting into the light. We're talking about staying in the light. We're talking about transparency. We don't have to wonder what God is thinking about us. We don't have to wonder if he's for us today. God is not changing about this. He's good and he's always good. Nothing that he's ever let into your life is but good and for our good. There's no clouds getting in the way. There's no blocking God's light from you. There's no causing shadows or uncertainties about his good intentions. Not from God. No, it's not. Proverbs 4, 18, but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. Don't ever let yourself be deceived. God loves you. Passionately, joyfully, and incredibly loves you. Every thought he has towards you is good. Whatever's happening in your life, there's something very good that he's working in you. You want to know what the proof of this incredible love is? Notice in verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. That's proof. You say, what is that? Well, that's why we have preaching. It just sounds so nice. And this is, I'm telling you the truth. I, I've looked over these because it's just nice. That's, that's very good. That's wonderful. But once we begin to understand a little bit, it's telling us a little bit more about our God. It says that we are of his own will begat he us with the word of truth to give us eternal life. He chose you to be a part of his family forever. And he says that we're a kind of first fruits of his creature. Aren't you excited to be a first fruit? And you say, I don't know what it is. Well, I'll tell you this. It doesn't mean you're to be fruity. I'm telling you, there's no fruitiness that is allowed here. No skinny jeans on the guys or girls. And there's no, no fruitiness whatsoever. No light in your loafers, none of that. He's not talking about that. A kind of first fruit. A first fruit is the one most eagerly awaited for in the harvest. The one that was specially chosen. You're the pinnacle of God's creation. 
it's an overwhelming glory that he's planned just for you. His love, it's incredible. God's an incredible, loving God. Nothing, nothing but good. I'm saying young people, adults, preacher, we need to be absolutely convinced that God has only something good in mind with each and every trial we face. Then there's another dynamic. Look at verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Second dynamic is this. Why don't we give thought to what God might be doing in our life that's good. Let's just stop and think, what is it that God is doing that is good in my life? Let's just give some thought to it. In other words, resist any thought of becoming frustrated or angry with God. And instead, let's look to God for what that good might be that he's doing. And so where do you get that from? Verse 19. That every man be swift to hear. What does that mean? Shut up. Listen up. Ask God what he's up to. Guard yourself from any impatience, any complaints. I'm thankful when I do complain to God. I, I think he understands, but, but what he'd like for me to see is to understand that he's not mean. He is good. He is loving. So, so he says, be swift to hear. Be quick to listen to whatever wisdom that you've asked God for. Be slow to complain. Be slow to get angry. Because an angry and complaining spirit is never going to bring about the good that he's trying to do in your life. Why don't we start praying something like, Father, show me what you're doing with my ministry. I'm trusting myself to your hands. Lord, show me how to handle my schedule instead of being overwhelmed by it. Father, you know my desire to be married. Give me idea as to how to trust you and wait. In other words, be quick to listen, slow to complain, slow to being angry. There's a third dynamic. Notice in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Number three, if the temptation, you do sense a temptation starting to arise, recognize what's causing it. If you do sense, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to, this is, I don't think I'm going the right, with the right mindset here. Well, then pin it down. What's the source? Well, what is the source? Verse 21, verse 8, that we just, uh, the first part of the verse just tell, tells us it's self centeredness. We're going back to self. Instead of thy will, it's my will. Nevertheless, Lord, my will be done. That's, that's really what's happening. And he gets into this in chapter number uh, three and four. But we, we need to identify this evil that is so prevalent itself. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 9 and verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him do what? 
deny himself. Weist says it this way, let him disregard his own interest. See, it's not that disciples who are effective in following the Lord, it's not that they don't have maybe some desire and interest for things. It's just that they understand that God is great. God is good. God is doing everything in their life for their good. God can only be good. God can only give good gifts. And we learn then to recognize if there's anything that I'm desiring and wanting that may frustrate God's plan to give good, good, good gifts to me itself. And I've got to learn to disregard that. I've become more convinced, Philip Yancey said, I've become more convinced than ever that God finds ways to communicate with those who truly seek Him, especially when we lower the volume of the surrounding static. Of course, he says, just listen. And he goes on, he told about a, a man, a spiritual seeker, who interrupted a busy life to spend a few days at a monastery. We have one near us. And um, I don't know if you ever visit a monastery. If you ever come visit us, we have time, we can take you to it. It's kind of interesting, fascinating to see. And um, they're, they're known at this monastery near us, they're known for making fruit cakes. And I thought, just how fitting is that? And they send them around the, 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 around the nation, uh, fruit cakes. But we, we, I went to one of their ceremonies. I went to one of the late ceremonies. They have one at 4 a.m. I wasn't going uh, to that at 4 a.m. I went to like the 8 a.m. service. And yeah, there's no talking. It's quiet. And they have on their robes. And, and um, I'm convinced if you are trying to run from somebody, you're on the run from the law a monastery is probably a safe place for you to go. I was suspect about every one of those guys that I saw. They looked like they'd just gotten out of prison or they're heading there and they're there hiding out looking, uh, somebody's looking for them. But, but anyway, this man's looking for some time away and he went to this monastery and um, the monk who showed him to his place of staying, he says, I hope your stay is a blessed one. If you need anything, let us know and we will teach you how to live without it. Hey, I think we could learn a lot from that because in this self-centered desire that we have that saturates our mind, it casts us down, it sends away, and it gets rid of all that God is doing. And God is saying we need to cast down and send away and get rid of this um, filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. In other words, get rid of any moral filth, any evil desire, anything that is prevalent, anything that will just keep feeding uh, and, and uh, uh, just eating away at that mindset that you ought to have. You may be going through your checklist fine, but if it's eating away at your mindset, Ephesians 5, 3, but fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once. Not even once named among you as become a saint. So, you know, once you talk to God about it, God, my, my music, frustrated with my lessons, frustrated with where I am because of my impatience, because of my lack of trust. I don't like that. Lord, my anger over this paper, this, this class, Frustration. I know it's not the way it ought to be. Lord, I've been single too long. Others are getting married and, and, and you're helping others. You're not helping me. Lord, it's not right that I'm doubting your goodness. Identify self-centeredness. 
targeted as that. Don't dwell on it, just deal with it. And let me give you a last one. Verse 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Just get back to the word of God. Saturate yourself in the safety and the power of God's word. God's word is able to save your soul, not just regeneration, but to bring deliverance. And he can deliver you from a wrong mindset. He can deliver you from the things that are, that are trickling in, seeping in, and, and, and protect your heart and mind because God is good. He's trying to give good gifts to you, but there are things been robbing you of, of thinking right about God. You need a present deliverance. He says, receive. In other words, accept that word. You've got to do something. You've got to handle it. That's why staying awake is important. That's why sitting up is important. That's why being attentive is important. That's why not just doing your quiet time, but spending time with God is important. Because if not, you're not receiving. You're not taking it in. You're not receiving that which God is giving to you. Accept, receive, embrace the word of God that God says is in control. Embrace that which God says can deliver you. Whether it be your ministry, your music, your, your um, relationship status. God, God cares about all of that. God wants to deliver you. Deliver me from what I'm going through? No, from having the wrong mindset. See, we are motivated by the men in the Bible. The women in the Bible were motivated by the stories of a James, of a Paul, of a Stephen. We're motivated by Peter. We're motivated by Daniel and Joseph. But when we are hearing messages preached that stir us to surrender to God, oh, we want that life of blessing. We want to trust and obey. But we fail to recognize that most every one of them, their end, their end was that of being martyred. They were put to death. They were tortured. They didn't have a special conference where somebody awarded them as faithful servants of God. Their heads were chopped off. They were persecuted. How about we preach that at a youth conference? Serve God and this is how you may live and die. I'm just simply saying, we want, we want the product, we don't want the process. We, we want the, I want the trust and obey part so that I can have a title, a pastor, so and so, evangelist, doctor, so and so, so I can have this position and ministry. I've seen it done, I know how to do it. We don't recognize that that same Bible that tells us about those men, they weren't in it for a title. They were, they were not in it for a position. They were not in it for uh, the perks. And there are some incredible perks to serving God. But if the perks you think is the vehicle you drive, the clothes you wear, the money you get, you're missing it because none of these men who wrote the New Testament, did they have it? We need to embrace the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And recognize that God is in control of our ministry. 
Do you know that God's been God for quite a while and he's pretty good at it? And God's calling us to ministry. Well, what does that look like? Deny yourself. And take up your cross once and for all. Do it daily and follow him. I mean, but, but what, what does it look like? Oh, you, you mean like the details of it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Yeah, just, just, just I think um, we could just have a coffin down here. We just need to have a funeral service to self. And, and recognize we can embrace that God is in control of all this. God is good. And, and God has planned all of this. And God's not going to let anything happen. To me, God's not going to let anything happen, but it's because he loves me. My schedule, embrace the word of God, which says that God will never give us a schedule that's more than we can handle. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 teaches us. No set of circumstances can ever get in the way, but what is common to human experience, embrace the promises that God will bring, will not bring anything that is more than he knows you can manage, but he's going to provide a way. He's going to provide an enabling. Embrace the word of God about that. Embrace the word of God about marriage. Marriage is good, but it can only be good when you follow God's rules and you trust God and you let God bring it together. Trust him. Embrace the word. Embrace the truth. Embrace God's word. Matthew 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they are the ones who are going to see God. Embrace that. So when you're going through a trial, hang on to the, to the conviction. God is good. He's doing something good in my life right now. And you can say that any, any time of the day. Be quick to look at what that good might be. Shut up. Quiet down. Um, say it the King James way. Be swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Recognize any temptation to sin comes because of us being self-centered. Put away evil. Deal with it. Then humbly come and embrace truth. We need the right mind about God.